60 of the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Good even uh, number. It is. I'm in a weird location. It's not weird. It is weird because I can see my snake room on the screen, but I'm not in my snake room. Yeah, you can't see the dog in the snake room with me, though. Which is not supposed to be in the snake room. She's not. <laughs> but I'm the only one home, and I feel bad. She's been in her crate all day because I was cutting grass, and she's sitting at my feet. She's very pitiful. So if she whines, it's because I'm not giving her attention. So anyways, I am at Robert's this week during spring break, during my spring oh, break. yeah. So I don't... And I'm going to party it up with a Benadryl coma later tonight. <laughs> can you get the dog out? So now I can hear the dog in there. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> anyway. It'll be fine. So now that we went through our 30 minutes of technical difficulties, we can start our podcast. That's standard. Yeah. As I was saying, this is becoming routine. One of these days, we'll actually figure out how technology works. Oh, my gosh. All right, Katie. You want to go ahead and do our first ready. sponsor spot? Go ahead. I'm ready. So our first sponsor is Lone Star Reptile Racks. Are you looking for a high-quality PVC rack? Look no further than Lone Star Reptile Racks. They offer a variety of sizes of all types of sport Whoa. They offer a variety of sizes for all types of snakes, geckos, rats, and more. You can even order something custom. Shipping is available, or you can plan to pick up at a Herps Reptile Show near you. Visit lsreptileracks.com to reach out to Lone Star Reptile Racks today and place your order. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Katie. I was taking Millie's collar off in the process of reading your spot. You're not good at multitasking? I wasn't. It miss, I messed myself up. But now when she shakes, you won't hear her collar in the background. Everyone will appreciate that. <laughs> no, I've, it's really just you. You're the only one that bothers. Everyone, everyone. So anyways, <laughs> I've been at Lone Star Reptile Racks for the last two days. Yeah. The actual shop where they are made. Although you didn't do anything today to earn your keep. I put some tubs in some drawers and then I sat down and cried because <laughs> my back hurt. Yeah, his back was oh. bad today. It, uh, it, it was not a good day. But Andy took a Benadryl this morning. Oh, yeah, no, I did take a Benadryl. I and ended up taking a nap he, on the floor. When he takes a Benadryl, floor. oh, I'm sure that helped a lot. Well, when no. he takes a Benadryl, he needs to drink a bang with it so that it counteracts the antihistamine. You do realize bang doesn't do anything to me, though. But you, when you were drinking an energy drink all this at stuff right school, now. it was Dr. Katie Lewis. Look, no, it wasn't. I'm just trying. I thought it was. No, I just like the flavor of energy drinks. Oh, well, never mind. I got nothing. <laughs> I was trying to be helpful. Thanks. I cut our grass today while you're gone. <laughs> I'm glad. I don't have to do that while you're home. I would have needed a Benadryl when that happened, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, anyways, our other sponsor, Herb's Reptile Shows, which we just had a really good Herb's Reptile Show in Temple, Texas. Yes, we did. We had a great time. Show. It was a great Easter weekend. Herb's Reptile Show. Saturday was not super busy, but everyone that came bought stuff. Yes. We were steady up front. We were we were steady. Uh, we had a good little crowd, and it seemed like it was a lot of family units, and they came with the intent to buy things. Who bought some family units? Well, it's but it was alien. like, it I've wasn't just five family hey, units. quit interrupting me. We're not at the same house. Quit oh, interrupting yeah, respect me. Respect your life, sir. 
It was. You get no respect. It was like husband, wife, kids, and grandparents or aunts and yeah. uncles. So it was. Yeah, we know we ran into some of them. family. At Denny's the night before. We did run into my Denny's. Oh. oh my gosh. I'm just saying, folks, when you're out in public talking to folks and they're at their own table having their conversation, that's fine if you interrupt quickly and say your thing, but then shut the fuck up, please. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was at the hotel asleep when all this happened. Yeah. It was a good 20 minutes. Oh, my God. I, I restarted this story four times. I'm an old lady. I go to bed early. Yeah. Oh, trust me. I do, too. I haven't seen that side of midnight in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Welcome to hanging out with James Lewis. <laughs> but that was the first time that we've ever gotten to a show on Friday, got completely set up, and had nothing to do Saturday morning. That has never happened before. So it was nice. Wasn't it? it was super nice. Yes. Uh, unlike John Grant. Unlike John Grant, who got there at ten. Ten. That's why we were up till midnight at Denny's. Yeah. And then he had to get set up the next day by himself because yeah. Callie was y'all, partying. Y'all kept him up super late. Yeah, he, I mean, considering he's 80 years old, that was way past his bedtime. <laughs> Look, I was asleep within 10 minutes of you leaving the hotel that night. Oh, and then uh, and Sunday, it. Sunday at the show was what I expected on Easter. It was dead. But we had killed it on Saturday, so it made it okay. Yeah. And the egg and then, hunt was so much fun. I was sure they did have it. We had the eggs Easter everywhere. Easter bunny came. I almost smacked some teenage boy who was running around in a hoodie picking up all the eggs off the tables. Yeah. And I looked at him and said, hey, don't take all the eggs. And he goes, eh. And then I kept running. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you didn't assault anyone. Yeah. Is it really assault if it's a teenage boy? I felt threatened. I'm allowed to fight back if I feel threatened. Anyone that has seen you would not know that that will not work, baby. You are. In- Does anybody else find it's funny that on Morph Market they only snake with its mouth open, like it's going to bite you? And the picture it's is a rat, rat snake. snake picture. Yeah, that, that's right. No, that's not the word to make sure it's accurate. Robert Robert can't stop being on Morph Market during the podcast. Yeah, I just did it because I'm sitting here. I'm never on it. But need I, to see if they're going to be a sponsor since we mentioned them all. Are y'all right? in the same room? We're sitting yeah. next to each other. Well, I didn't know. I wasn't sure how this was working. Oh, my goodness. See my hand? Okay. Uh, so, anyways, back to Herb's Reptile Shows. Our next Herb's Reptile Show is this weekend in Beaumont, Texas, April 10th and 11th. It's going to be uh, a great show. Be, that should be a great show. Mm-hmm. And then, super excited, the week after that is the Slidell, Louisiana show, April 17th and 18th, which... Uh, is it sad that I don't know if I'm excited for the amazing crowd that's coming or for the food that I get to eat while I'm there? That's true. And April's going to be there. Slidell, yes, and I get to see my good friend because Slidell has some of my favorite foods and places to eat. Yes, so we get Slidell, and then two weeks after that is Stafford, Stafford. Texas, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then I'm not going then, to the this one. The two weeks after that is Pueblo. Or yes, week I was going to say you week and I have a couple Pueblo. weeks off. Two weeks, the fifteenth, sixteenth. Oh yeah, so two weeks is Pueblo. I got my calendar wrong. Your calendar's wrong. So you, you and I right. have a couple weeks right. off after that. Oh, then we have Austin the week after that. I knew there was two in a row. In, in yeah. Austin. And then Lafayette in June. Mm-hmm. That's it in June, I think, is Lafayette. No, there's three in June. Uh, Never mind. Conroe. <laughs> Conroe. Yeah, Conroe and then Amarillo. That's my yes, birthday. Because Chris Eaton's coming in to Conroe, and he's going to eat a crawfish for the yes, first he time. Is. That's not nearly as important as my birthday. I don't know. Watching him have to suck the head off crawfish seems like it's going to be a lot of fun. I don't think it's happening, y'all. Hold up, but I can hear your washer. I can hear my washer. It's done, though. I can hear it in person now. Yeah. 
I did laundry uh, earlier, so nothing's running. Rachel just walked in at like five minutes after seven from work today. And also, before we go any further, I do. I always forget to mention we do have a Patreon if anybody wants to help us out on Patreon. We've and, couple, and we've had a handful of folks sign up. For that. Our last one was Ashley Howdy of uh, folks. Focus cube. Focus cube. Yeah, I, I was. My brain went blank for a minute. I was like, I could picture the brightly colored cages, and I just couldn't <laughs> think of the name. I was like, cube squared. It's something with math. Okay. <laughs> so I'll let Robert introduce our guest this week, since he found our guest this week. Yeah, Absolutely. our guest this week is Derek Dykstra, aka uh, according to the screen here, the Crotalis Cowboy. Um, <laughs> well, Derek, to, <laughs> tell us, tell us who he works for. Derek, how you doing, man? Hey, what's going on, y'all? Thanks for having me. Uh, good job getting my last name right. That doesn't usually happen. But, uh, yeah, my name is Derek, and I'm the Director of Education and Collections Manager for the Rattlesnake Conservancy. What does that mean? <laughs> it's a lot of words. Like, That's a lot of words. So that's my job title, but honestly, I do a little bit of everything for the Rattlesnake Conservancy, uh, filing for permits, counting, um, you know, construction, renovations. So I do a lot, but the bulk of what I'm supposed to be doing is uh, running our coming up with different ideas for education programs and taking care of our animals. So I do want to say that if, if Derek's uh, sound cuts in and out, he really wanted to be a part of our podcast. And so in fashion, he went ahead and made sure that he had a horrible internet connection. <laughs> and then had to sit in his car at the end of his driveway so he could even talk to us. Right. He gave up a good comfy chair to sit with us. That is true. So it's it's fitting. <laughs> it, internet doesn't Poor like James. us. Yeah. One of these weeks. One of these weeks, baby. It's going to work out for you. I've, I've given up. <laughs> on life. On, on all of life. <laughs> oh, gosh. Maybe so, when we move to Wednesday nights, it'll be a little better instead of Tuesday. Oh yeah, because everyone knows that Wednesday night internet is better than that Tuesday. Night. I don't. I mean, I don't. <laughs> Maybe know. it's just a change of pace. <laughs> they they you send go. you the better internet on Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm trying to make things better for you. You don't have Tuesdays to like, ask about it. Tuesdays are like send out that shit internet. Look, respect that, me, James. We've got that leftover internet from last week. We got to get rid of it before it goes bad. Send that out on Tuesdays. <laughs> oh goodness. It's on hold. I know, but look at the price. You know, he's okay, y'all, but you're. Uh uh-uh, uh, get right. off of Morph Market. We have a guest. I'm not on Morph Market. He's over there staring at <laughs> Get it at together, boys. Uh, Unacceptable. So, 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 Derek, is there a physical location for the Rattlesnake Conservancy? Yes, there is. So, we are now based out of Jacksonville, Florida. We have a partnership with Tree Nature Center, which is right downtown. We're leasing out an office space, which is kind of where we're basing all of our operations out of right now. And since September of last year, we've been working on renovating a classroom where we're going to have live rattlesnakes on display and do all of our training courses and summer camps and after-school programs. So we are based out of Jack and before we operate throughout the southeast and a little bit out in the southwest. So in your office space, are there any rattlesnakes? Not currently. So, um, even I just, though I have, I just wonder because I'm thinking of like, here in Florida. well, I'm thinking of like all of your neighbors who, who would have to wonder if there are rattlesnakes in there when, with the name on the wall, like on the door. <laughs> no. So it, it's, it's really funny that we're smack dab in the middle of downtown Jacksonville and we're going to have, you know, rattlesnake stuff. It, it works out. This nature has on probably the only chunk of wooded land and 
probably all of Jacksonville. Um, but it, we just did a press release with a couple of different newspapers, Rattlesnake Jacksonville. The headlines were pretty, pretty funny. But right now, no snakes on site. They're being kept um, at another facility until we can get our room renovated and approved by FWC or move them over. That's really cool. Well, and you, you're also yeah, I'm you've worked with it. you've also worked with friends of ours, uh, Cody and Pia. Yes. So uh, like I was telling y'all before the show started, uh, where I live in Florida is like 15 minutes up the road from Cody and Pia. So I do also intern for them, mostly just animal care and husbandry, um, but that also includes taking care of rats, building fences, kind of whatever project Cody happens to be working on. There's some, yeah. uh, you you look familiar. Um, I know the listeners can't see you, but we have our our video going. <laughs> you look familiar, so I'm I'm almost certain we met you at the last carpet fest. I was not exactly did. the most coherent person that evening, but <laughs> it's okay. I was. You you always are. It's <laughs> why I love you. <laughs> okay, before we go any farther and get into this. I want to hit on our giveaway again for this month. And, and the reason I waited till we had Derek on is because I've got a plan for how I want to do our giveaway this month. So again, refresher. This month we are giving away. Oh, I, I don't want to screw it up. I said I was ready for it and I wasn't because I don't have shit pulled up because <laughs> I'm not used to not having my two screens and someone's screen over here is Wait. morph market. Anyway, it's not a morph market anymore. <laughs> So our our giveaway this month is from Gecko World Austin. They are going to be giving Super away. Jealous. I know they're going to be giving away a baby crested gecko and a complete setup tank, everything to go with it. Uh, that is, if you can come to a Herp show and pick it up in person. If you are one of our listeners, you're farther away and you can't make it, they can send you the gecko and everything but the tank. They can send that to you, uh, FedEx, and get it to you. Or if you're one of our listeners and you're like, that's really cool, but I don't want a gecko. I've got something else. You can get a $150 gift certificate to Gecko World Austin on their website, which is really great. I know that Katie just signed up for their cricket uh, subscription program. We're excited. So it's, it's funny that you mentioned that. So the reason we signed up for it is because our daughter has a fat tail gecko. And... So she goes and we get her crickets for from PetSmart. But I have a leopard gecko, bearded dragon, and a Brazilian horned frog all in my classroom. And so I get crickets for them, and then we feed them in the classroom, and the kids can watch. And so Joe started crunching the numbers, our daughter, Joe. She started crunching the numbers, and she's like, Mama, we spend a lot of money on crickets from the store. I said, we do. I said, that's why you've started paying for crickets for your animals. And she said, let's look into this subscription thing. So we, we pulled it up. We crunched the numbers. We're getting 253 quarter hey, inch. Hey, can you tell me what you did to the numbers again? We crunched them. We crunched the numbers. Don't, cr- don't Robert, crunch the crickets, though. So I'm him upside the head for me because I'm not there. I just, just didn't know if you had said it enough. I can see it on video. I don't see your hand in the other side of the screen. I don't drink know. your Coke. Put your Coke down. Anyways. <laughs> I didn't know if crunch the numbers of you so, said it enough after seven times. I can say it again if you'd like, and we could make this a fun drinking game. So we we looked at all the numbers and decided that we Some we're actually going to save. We're actually going to save like close to fifty dollars a month. We're getting two hundred and fifty wow. every two weeks. 
because we even went as far as to say, instead of feeding them twice a week, we feed them every other day. This is how much we would. This is how much each animal will eat in a two week period. Turn it into an awesome math lesson for a fourth grader. So, <laughs> Anyways. Uh, so she's really excited about this. Woo. Now, so our giveaway is going to be, uh, again, I gave you, it's going to be through Gecko World Austin. Last month we did, you listen to every episode of the month, and then at the end you, we give you a number at each one, and at the end you gave us all four numbers, and we put your name into a drawing. And I wanted to do something along those lines this month, but I didn't want to do a number again. So I had an idea. And so there are ooh, four weeks in this month. So you have four episodes to listen to. And then once you've listened to uh, all four episodes, you will tell us the species of snake that we mention in each episode. So each, Why is it each be a snake? Because this month it's going to be a snake. If you want to do a lizard next month, it can be a lizard next month. But he's giving away a lizard. Shouldn't it be a lizard? No, I like snakes. Oh, my God, James. <laughs> I agree. Sean Gray, I tried. Sean Gray can, can suck it. Anyways, it's going to be a species of snake. And I figured since this week, the person we have on uh, works with snakes, I would let him choose these. Be- and I'm not going to do scientific names because I don't want people to get confused. Just a generally commonly accepted common name. Of a snake. So, Derek, what is your favorite snake? My favorite snake. Uh, I'm going to have to go with Eastern Diamondback Rattlesnake. That's awesome. a good one. So, <laughs> for the first week of this month, Eastern Diamondback Rattlesnake is the first one. So, someone, if you're listening, write that down. Keep that somewhere. We'll give you another one in the next three episodes. And then you'll send all four of them to us in order. And uh, we'll enter you in for the giveaway through Gecko World Awesome. So that brings me to our question we posted this week, which I posted. I say this week. It was last night. Uh, yeah. Sitting on my couch. He said, we haven't posted a question yet. What should we do? They knew we had you coming on. So I said, let's ask everyone what their favorite rattlesnake is. <laughs> yeah. It was a busy week and then a weekend. And then now I'm here. And yeah, so it, it happens. But we got 10 replies like, quick people were i was really surprised so our question was what is your favorite species of rattlesnake and why and uh, i didn't expect so many people to have such a wide variety of favorite rattlesnakes yeah and and no one on no one mentioned my favorite on this list a rattlesnake or my favorite rattlesnake i don't know what your favorite rattlesnake is well i guess you don't love me so oh shut up (laughs) So we'll go through them, and, uh, and and Derek can give us any background information about these species if he's worked with them. But we'll talk about everybody's favorite rattlesnakes, and then we'll get to our favorite rattlesnakes. Sure. So Darren Watson said, pygmy rattlesnake. He says, I think they are great introduction species to venomous because they are native, and secondly, they are less defensive than larger species of rattlers. I also think their small size makes them more convenient to house compared to the large rattlesnakes. Uh, I think I think prefer the red... Uh, Anyways, he likes the reddish specimens. If we could own venomous in New Jersey, that would be one of the top venomous. So he took it from as like a which one do you want to own kind of thing. Did he um, specify which type of pygmy? And did I miss that? No, just, just pygmies. The red- pygmies in general. The Western pygmies, I think, are really pretty. What Western pygmies? I'd agree with that. The Western pygmy rattlesnake? I don't pay attention to Western pygmy rattlesnakes. Look, I just Googled pygmy rattlesnakes <laughs> so that I could contribute to that. That's conversation. cheating. That's cheating. 
That's because you're not here and I can control the computer. But the Westerns are really pretty because they've got a lot of grays mixed in with some like reds and oranges. Yeah, yeah. Um, you got the Westerns, which are pre- I think they're all pretty. The Westerns, Duskies, Carolinas. The the red faced Carolina pygmies, I'd agree. They're beautiful animals. Yeah, I like when you get those little pygmies with lots of pink on them. Mm-hmm. So I like pygmies. And, and I guess, how would you, I mean, I know this isn't like, hey, rattlesnakes is pets. But if someone were keeping venomous, uh, I would think pygmies would be a pretty, as, as safe as you can be with keeping a venomous snake. Yeah. A fairly safe one. Yeah, we had a guy, uh, he was at the last temple show walking around with his hand swollen up from a bite from a pygmy. Yeah, that wasn't good. No, and he was like, uh, at least I wasn't one of my death adders. <laughs> oh my god! He never went to the doctor, oh never went to the god. hospital. Uh, he's way too chill about that. That is not okay. Yeah, and then I saw him at the sh- uh, show a few weeks later, and I was like, how's your hand? Eh, it's all right, I guess. He completely unconcerned. Nope. Looked like he had a catcher's mitt on, though, walking so, around the show. So please, people out there, don't do that. Yeah, if you don't get do people having a mistake, please go straight to a hospital. Yeah. God, oh. yeah. Oh man! So we saw yeah, someone yeah, at a show. Go. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no! I was, uh, as far as they go in captivity, uh, you know, yes and no, they can be good, but like anything, they're going to have pros and cons. Um, they can be really picky feeders, especially if you get a young one or one straight out of the Uh So you got prepared to deal with that. They're small. They're eating a lot of lizards, frogs. Some populations are specifically centipede eaters, so it can be kind of oh, wow. tricky. They don't, they don't want to ride a hook that well either. So convenient to house so small, yeah, absolutely. And they're beautiful snakes, but, you know, they don't ride hooks very well, and they can definitely be picky feeders. Yeah, for those that are wondering, when he says ride a hook, it means uh, stays on the hook well. So yeah. a lot of snakes you can't transfer. From, once you put them on a hook and lift them, they just kind of hang there. And they move very well. Something like a ball python, if you were to lift with a hook, it just sits there until it lands yep. again. But if you're going with, uh, like, like I said, with the pygmy, or there's a lot of colubrids that once you touch them with the hook, they just shoot off and go. Copperheads, little, you know, small copperheads copper are pretty bad. freaking impossible to keep on a hook. Yep. So, uh, let's see. Hayden Lears, Liars. You said it right. Lears. Mm-hmm. Uh, of the species. Oh, yeah. yeah. Of the species I've worked with, the Masaga is my favorite. He's a tiny Spitfire. They've got a pretty, they've got a pretty, and then nothing. Uh, in general, Crotalis simus is probably my favorite. So the Masagas, I'm not familiar with. That's a, a northern, a northern one, and mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with the northern rattlesnakes. I do know what they are, and I've seen we pictures. Have them in Texas. Do you? Yeah. We do not have them in Louisiana. Yeah. Yep. Uh, which one was Crotalis simus? We looked it, it up. It is the Middle America rattlesnake or Central American rattlesnake. Yeah. Is that like is that like the Neotropical rattlesnake? Is that the same thing? No, it doesn't say that. These are found in Mexico, Michoacan, Veracruz, Yucatan Peninsula, Belize, Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, Nicaragua, and Costa Rica. Gotcha. It is absent from Panama, though, which is that's a whole just, that's a lot of places. Huh. Yeah. So. It's a pretty snake. It's like it almost looks like it has beads on it. Yeah, that's neat. Derek, feel free to interrupt us, and we will stop talking as soon as we hear you. You don't stop. You keep going. Yeah, because there's a lag, and it's much easier for you to okay. keep going for, and for us to shut <laughs> oh, yeah. up. So, Crotalis simus. That was one I had never heard of before. Uh, yeah, there's a lot more rattlesnakes than people realize. One of the uh, 
one of the projects that I worked for early on with the Rattlesnake Conservancy was actually compiling a list of all, at the time, currently recognized species and subspecies of rattlesnakes. And when I was done, I think we were at 92, including subspecies. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of them out there. I believe it. But it's funny because, like, in the East, there's not. There's, like, what, four. And so then you get three, to Ari- then you get to Arizona and California and add about twenty more. Yeah, yeah. yeah you get out west and they're everywhere. Then you get down into Mexico and add a bunch more. Then you get to Catalina Island and there's their own little rattlesnake out there that doesn't have rattles. Yeah, yeah, that one's pretty cool. Yeah. So William Philippex said the southwestern speckled rattlesnake, which is crazy looking. Is that it? Oh, I've seen those before. Like little pink, little pink spots on them yeah. and. Yeah, Rick had some of these at the show. I've seen those. They, they almost like they disappear into mm-hmm. rocks. Like you put on a rock or in the sand and it just you can't see them at all. Oh, yeah. And the cool thing about the Southwest speckles is um, depending on where in the range you find them, each population has a specific color to match the rock flats or the rock faces they, they live in. So like you got white cool. phase, blue phase, red, oranges, pinks. They're incredible. I was actually just scrolling through and looking at all the different color variations. So that's really neat that yeah. they camouflage to their specific areas. Well, they've, they've evolved to be that way. Yeah. They don't, they're not, they're not chameleons. Well, okay. Thank you, James. <laughs> Again, I'm trying to contribute to the conversation hey, that hey, I hey, know hey. nothing about. I'm just educating you. Okay. No need to get an attitude. Boy, no need, to be, watch no need to be disrespectful. Oh, yeah. You know look, what? I'm going to text Rachel in a minute and tell her to come smack you for me because she will. She'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> look at that one, man. Look at the red. Oh, that is pretty. As we look at pictures, this is what Chris Eaton loves when we look at pictures and talk about how great they are. Google the snake, <laughs> folks, and uh, look at all the pictures on Google. That's true, dude. I, I would suggest Googling Southwestern Speckled Rattlesnake. Uh, Google cause... everything we mention on this show because that's what I do. Well, like none of these look the same. There I could, like, if you were, if you were to put six of them in front of me, six different locales in front of me, I would assume I'm looking at six completely different rattlesnakes. Yeah. Oh, easily. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Jeff Opst said Cortalis lepidus. That's the banded rock rattler. That's my oh, favorite. Those are cool. Yeah. Banded rock rattlesnakes are cool. Yeah. I like them. Um, <sighs> your lights just turned off. It's eight o'clock. It gave me a mild heart attack next time. <laughs> <laughs> I just That's- like all the lights to the right of me just turned off, <laughs> and I just jumped in my chair. <laughs> Got, gotta love uh, smart boards. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> uh, where was that? Scott Board said it's go. tough. He loves red pygmies, but then again, the timbers we have here are also here are also up there. I like timbers. Or if you're if you're in Louisiana, cane breaks. Yeah, well, he's in New York where they yeah, have those really black, dark timbers. Yeah, it's cold up there, so they got to be darker. Yeah. Who, you you showed me, Robert, a picture of a cane break the other day that did yeah, not look cool. like a I like the ones we had down No, here. it was like black. It was in Pennsylvania. Do you have a lot of timbers there, Derek? Oh, we lost some. I don't, did he hear? Is he there? Can you hear us, Derek? Well, he was talking, and y'all were talking over uh, him. Not down here. We're kind of at the, the southernmost edge. Yeah, can you hear me? As yeah, we can. Yeah, go, where you're I'm good. At down here in Florida, we're at the southernmost edge of their range, so... Yeah, so depending on what county you're at in North Florida, they may be more abundant than in other counties, but they're not, you know, they're not very abundant at all down here because we're just at the edge of their range. But I will say the the color phases we had down here, I think like northern Alachua County, they're, they've got like blue tint to them that looks just 
all awesome. Absolutely incredible. That's cool. I'm, I've always liked timbers. That's in Louisiana. If someone finds a rattlesnake, that's what it is. It's a cane break. I mean, there's pygmies there, but it's usually 95% of the time a cane break. Uh, let's see. Tracy says she likes the speckled rattlesnake. That was another one. Uh, Jason Bromley says, I've always been a huge fan of Crotalus molassus, the black-tailed rattlesnake. I think they're one of the coolest-looking rattlesnake species. Yeah, those are cool. They're, uh, those are cool. I do I have seen those at some zoos, black-tailed. And then Ryan Goslow said Crotalus. Aatrox, I know that one. is a Western Diamondback. Uh, he also said <laughs> yep. he'd like to add Adamantius. Oh, someone did kind of mention one of mine. Okay, so I'll come back to that. Uh, and then Catalina Nia. Catalinensis, which is your... So if you slow down some, you'll be able to say these names okay, babe. No, I won't. <laughs> so, Catalinensis, the only species of rattlesnake... Got to quick and get it over with. <laughs> to not evolve a rattle due to evolving on an island where there is no megafauna to warn off. Yeah, there's no reason to have a rattle if there's nothing to warn. Right. So. And then, of course, John Gray. John Gray said pygmies. Yeah. And posted a picture of a pygmy, which is a nice. lot of pygmy love. I like it. Yeah, pygmies are a really cool one. They they're really like so you get some of those ones with like lots of pinks in them, and they're really pretty. So Derek, what is your? I know this is gonna be hard. Your favorite species of rattlesnake? I'm assuming it's what we asked earlier. Your favorite species would be your favorite species of snake it, in general. It's <laughs> really hard, man. You're right. Just because, like I said earlier, there are so many different rattlesnakes. Um, but if I had to choose one, if someone put a gun to my head and was like, all right, pick a rattlesnake, I would probably have to say the Eastern Diamondback just because I'm a Florida boy born and raised and we've got EDBs all over the world, not as prominent as they used to be, but we got EDBs down here, just massive, beautiful rattlesnakes. And I just have that, that connection to them growing up in their habitat. So that, that would be my default. Easterns are my favorite. Reason. Well, Easterns are my favorite because you're, you're talking about an eight-foot rattlesnake. I mean, a thick-bodied, yep. huge eight-foot rattlesnake. And when I worked at the zoo, we had a big – she was probably pushing about seven. But, I mean, there was no hooking that snake. It was shift boxes because whenever you had to try and lift her, it was just uh, – it was a lot of snake. Um, oh, yeah. And they have, they, have, they have that massive rattlesnake head, and the pattern is pretty. I, it, and, and I love the name. I love I love the scientific name. <laughs> just, a scientific yeah, name, James yeah, will actually say. Yeah, it's, it's Wolverine, say, right? Yeah. Yep, there you go. But I, I prefer the Easterns over Westerns. Westerns, I think, get more uh, publicity because they have a pretty striped tail, and everybody thinks the Wild yeah. West when they see them. But I'm an Eastern fan. <laughs> nice. So yeah, that was our that was our our list of people's favorite rattlesnakes, which was a very specific question, but. It is, uh, we yeah. Got, we got a lot of answers. Um, it's, it is crazy how many there are. I just can't get over how many different types of rattlesnakes there are. Yeah, it's wild, especially once you get down into like Mexico and Central and South America. Like there are species that even myself, like I had never heard of when I was going through all of them. Like, uh, the El Muerto Island rattlesnake. One, I'd never even heard of El Muerto Island, but it's, <laughs> it's literally the dead island rattlesnake. And there's just, bunch of different random ones like that um down in brazil there's like five different subspecies of what people call the south american rattlesnake there's actually a couple different kinds of those and uh we actually just funded a study with uh subspecies the 
uh, Dorisus cascavella, which are the cascavel rattlesnake down in Brazil. We're funding a research project down there. And there's just, you know, that's a, a very long list of rattlesnake species to go through. I remember seeing something once. It was a, a species of rattlesnake where the squirrels around them had evolved to be immune to the rattlesnakes. So they no longer were like afraid of them. And I can't yeah, remember where so that was at. I, I, um, for those who are listening that are big podcast geeks, you may be familiar with, uh, Mike Pingleton's podcast, So Much Pingle. He did an episode with, uh, what's her name? Dr. Emmy Taylor, I believe. And, uh, she, I think, wrote a paper about that and they touched on it a little bit. And it's just this constant arms race of squirrels evolving to be more immune to venom and the venom constantly evolving to catch up with the squirrel. And it's, it's really neat stuff. And venom is such a complex thing. You look at one particular species of rattlesnake, uh, like the Eastern Diamondback, for example. You know, you could take one population here in central Florida and the venom composition is going to be different than, say, a population in the panhandle or up Georgia. So even though they're all the same species, the venom composition is a little bit different. And it's just it's like that for pretty much every different species. You know, the the timbers, you've got a type A and a type B venom composition. Uh, Mojave is, I think, uh, like A, B and C. There, It's just so complex. So, and here's a more personal question. What all do you own personally as far as rattlesnakes or venomous? Yeah, so uh, I've got a very small, modest collection of venomous right now just because I'm very particular in what I want to keep. Um, I can thank my my years as a zookeeper and also my experience working at Cody and Pia's that I've, I've been able to scratch itch of a lot of like, oh, gaboon vipers and cobras and things like that so i've, I've kind of refined my taste a little bit um but right now i personally have um i've got a crotalis marulis which is a tamalipan rock rattlesnake i've got an emerald horned pit viper ophriacus marading jing i don't remember uh the latin names too but uh, emerald horned pit viper um Bostriacus marchi, which is the Honduran pit viper, and I think, yeah, that's it for right now, but I have a room in the house that I'm converting that me and my girlfriend agreed to make the venomous room, and we're going to be cold room, so I don't know if y'all got to go to the Montane room at Cody and Pia. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so that's, cool. that's pretty much, that's, yeah, that's pretty much what I want to do. Because I want to focus on species that like it cold, pretty much. So a, a snake room that stays at an ambient of like 60 degrees, and I want to keep a bunch of different montane rattlesnakes and snakes in the genus Bothriacus and Ophriacus. Yeah, that room, and it had a couch in there. I could sleep in that room all day long. It was amazing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's venomous. Do you keep any non-venomous? I'm assuming you got to keep something, right? Yeah, yeah. So I do have a moderate, moderate size non-venomous collection. I've kind of, like everybody goes through the ebbs and flows of what their collection is. I've been that person that wanted one of everything, and I've gone through that. And then I had a collection that was primarily uh, Florida native. I, you know, decided that wasn't really what I wanted to do long term. So now I've been able to refine my non-venomous collection too. 
So I work with, or I keep uh, Tiger Rat 6, the Spilotus Pilatus. I've got uh, 1.3 of them right now, a one male, three females that I'm pretty excited about. I also have a couple of Neotropic bird snake or neotropical pupping snakes the uh i'm, I'm assuming you got those so I noticed. those from jason hood that is correct i did <laughs> those are pretty cool little snakes i really dig those um and then i've also got 1.2 of the red tail green rats the ganisoma oxycephalum okay and so i'm so gonna I've interrupt kind of, you for just a second yeah uh yeah. just because James is not here to give me grief, and I don't feel like typing this into Google. But I also know that not everybody that listens to our podcast is reptile people. So when you say you have 1.2, I know that that deals with the sexes that you have. So you have one male and two female, right? Correct. Yeah, that's what's okay. known as a, a sex ratio. So the first okay. digit uh, to the left of the decimal is number of males. The second or the digit to the right of the decimal is number of females. And then if I had an animal that I didn't know the gender, say I had like one male, two females, and three unknowns, that would be 1.2.3. And that's three. how the sex okay. ratio works. Yep. Cool. Yeah. So, um, so the tiger rats, the neotropic bird snakes, the red-tailed green rat snakes, um, and then I've got a couple of snakes that I just have as pets. Uh, I've got a jungle carp python that was one of my first snakes. A Doom World's Boa. Um, I think that just about covers it. Um, I did used to keep uh, White Lips Pythons, Gretel's Pythons, uh, a bunch of different random stuff, but I'm kind of trying so, to cut back. So right now you're a fan of large skinny snakes that don't like people. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. But, you know, I'm used to working with snakes I can't handle, so it makes sense to do the same thing with non-venomous, too. <laughs> I've, I've dealt with red-tailed green rats once, and, and it was not well. Uh, they I've were, dealt with it I'm pretty sure I dealt with wild caught. It was at a pet store, and they were both of them four foot long, four to five foot, and they were angry. And those things yeah, strike and hiss. Yeah, I've heard that they can definitely have some attitude to them. Uh, the ones I have now, they're, they're hatchlings, uh, December of last year, and then one that was February of this year. Um, so not really too much of a handful. The only issue is they're, I have to assist feed them right now, which is always just a time suck. Um, but they're doing pretty good for right now. I'm excited to leave them up. It's a, uh, it's funny. I went from being uh, a python person to now arboreal colubrids has really taken over my interest because, like, I had a bunch of different Morelia, green tree python, things like that, and uh, I kind of phased all that stuff out to focus on the the angry whippy colubrids. <laughs> and and so that's that kind of caging. I'm assuming you're doing larger caging for stuff like that. Are you keeping uh, keeping them together communally, or how are you doing that? Yeah, so uh, right now my two adult pelotes are, are, yeah, they're being kept together four by two by two. And then my other two spilotes, uh the tiger rats, are juveniles. So they're being kept um, in a, it's a, a two by one by one, and they're doing good in those. Um, and then the same goes for the ganisoma, the red-tailed green rats, since they're hatchlings. 
they're in small small enclosures as well, two by one by one. Uh, but the goal is eventually when um, I can move and get the, the cold room set up, I just want to do like three or four really large enclosures and kind of keep those species together communally. So I do want to explain something to, like Katie said, some of our listeners are, are not reptile people or they are and their experience may not stretch outside of some of the more common species. Uh, one cool thing about tiger rats so many people are familiar with hog noses and their threat display of how they flatten their neck. And in the South, people call them spreading adders or people will call them cobras because they don't know any better. Yep. Or they're familiar with how cobras flatten their necks and they spread them out wide. But it's not how a tiger rat does it, right? Correct. Yeah. No, they they, uh, they pop up as well, but it is not the same as those. It's, it's really interesting. It's almost like a, uh, like a vertical, like their throat puffs out and the top of their neck puffs out. And they really just kind of swell up, and that's their threat play, uh, which is really, really unique. Um, and then uh, the neotropical bird snakes. Oh, no. Uh-oh. He, fr- he froze as he was telling us about the neotropical bird snakes. He'll come back. So, yeah, the, the, what I was trying to say with those is it's, it's a – when you see one go, they don't just spread. So they, they flatten out, like he said, vertically, <clears throat> and then they hiss, yep. this loud hiss. And it is a very uh, – it's, it's a very unnerving thing. I mean, you know that this thing can't kill you, but you don't want to take a bite. No, and I'll, especially from a big one, man, they can definitely they can definitely leave a mark. But one of my favorite things about the Spilotes, the tiger rat snakes, is in my experience, they are the closest thing to working a mamba you can you can get. So they they'll do those long, slow, deliberate tongue flicks. They look at you, and you can tell that they're processing information. And I'm one of those people that one of my pet peeves is when people say, oh, if you want to get into venomous, practice with something like a racer or a coach whip. Because my experience, my belief is those things aren't going to prepare you for venomous. But I will say the tiger rat snakes, the way they behave and act is very similar to that of mambas. Yeah, the, the closest I get, and I'm not, I'm not saying it's like <laughs> dealing with a mamba, but the closest I've ever dealt with is like a seven foot, really pissed off Texas rat snake. Those yeah. <laughs> things, I mean, they, they're seven foot, they're strong, they're thick, they're angry, and they want to bite you. Uh, but they're definitely not as fast. I mean, they're, they're quick. They're not as fast as turning up their body as something like a mamba or like any of your arboreal, true arboreal uh, snakes right. like your tiger rat and all. Right, right. Yeah, we actually, for work, we recently taught one of our venomous handling courses at the Naval Air Station up in Jacksonville. And um, because they are stationed, different parts of the world they deal with a bunch of different exotic stuff um so we had to alter the course a little bit to accommodate for that and you know i'm not permitted for a lapids the rattlesnake conservancy is going to be keeping you know mom our facility but to kind of compensate for that i brought things like the the spilotes and i'm like all right this is the closest we're going to get that's cool yeah robert's showing a picture of who had Rick? Uh, Rick had zebra spitting cobra babies. Wow, those are wow. Whole, nice. a whole little bucket of spitting cobras. That was fun. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna Google look, that. They're all looking at him. Every one of them is looking up. Ugh, that's awesome. I've luckily in my mind know, that looks like a zebra, so I'm about to look it up. They're it's, pretty. It's striped. So you talk about dealing with you had dealt with mambas uh, with Cody. So mm-hmm. and and we've talked before on here. Cody's got those giant black mambas. My favorite ones that he has. I think it's the westerns, the western greens, the big scales. Yeah, 
and it's kind of like that fishnet pattern. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's what uh, Joe got at the one Conroe show, right? Yeah, he got a Western. Yeah. Uh, they're a really cool looking set. So speaking yeah, of Mambas, sure. uh, since we do talk about what's going on currently in the hobby within the last couple of weeks, uh, Robert, you know a little bit more about what went on. And so I would like to talk about, and it's been all over across a ton of Facebook pages, but the guy that got bit by the Green Mamba in North Carolina? Uh, yeah, let me go to the post real quick. I shared it in the group today. Yeah, it was in North Carolina. He actually shared a or made a post today about his experience. Um, you know, everybody had kind of heard about it. So he's okay. He, he's okay yes. now. Yeah, he. Because uh, I mean, I don't even know what we talked about. So. Yeah, he uh, just reading the story. He was cleaning. He had the snake out, single hook, was tailing it. It managed to get part of its body around the handle of another enclosure and use that as leverage to flip itself around and bit him on the, I forgot what finger he said. Oh. And uh, luckily he had his, uh, his left hand is all he said. So he said his first reaction was to drop the snake. He said, but he knew that he couldn't just leave the snake out. So he hooked it, tailed it and got it put up. Luckily he had his bike protocol book immediately went upstairs and told his parents that he'd been bitten and to get him to the hospital. Um, he called poison control and he called 911 on the way there and was trying to get in touch with the ER because he knew he would need ICU and pretty good chance he would need to be intubated, which turns out he did not have to be intubated. That's good. Uh, I, think he, I think he said he got six vials of antivenom. Yeah. And, and they were uh, given, the six vials were given to him by one of the zoos. Yeah. One of the zoos, uh, uh, right there in North Carolina, a small zoo in North Carolina and gave it to him. Well, and a lot of people got angry at him for taking the zoos antivenom, but. We, you read said that the uh, he offered to pay the zoo back, and the yeah. zoo told him no. They, yeah. they gave him the antivenom, and uh, wouldn't take his money for it. So, but the good thing is, is he's still around to make the post. Uh, said he, you know, went through the full, basically took the full ride from the venom, went through everything except for he luckily didn't have to be intubated. I think he said he was in the hospital for, I forget how long he said he was in the hospital. It doesn't say it in the post, but in one of the comments. Um, he's young. He's 21. He's been keeping venomous for four years. And uh, he said he learned some lessons. Like in that four years, he had never reached out to his local hospital, toxicologists, or even other keepers. He really didn't have a network. And he said that was a, a huge lesson learned. He's been very humble about it. A lot of the people were ripping him in the comments, and he was very positively responding to them, not arguing. Uh, seems like he really wants to do it right. Animal control went out. I said that's the biggest mistake he made was calling nine one one because that got it on the news, which is not what he wanted. And uh, animal control came out, said everything was great with the way he was keeping his animals, and made a couple of well, small suggestions. Yeah, made a couple of small. Yeah, he had all. He was. I guess they have. He was uh, on the up and up. Yeah, they have venomous laws. They call it Article fifty five in uh, North Carolina, and it sounds like he was doing it right. He just. You know, he, he did say that the snake, when he got him out, the snake was like extra grumpy that day and he should have just put him back up and waited, you know, try again tomorrow, you know, but he got a little bit, uh, a little bit comfortable and it nearly cost him his life. Crazy, that's crazy. stuff. And it was a West that African. Green I, and I, yeah. Man, that's nuts. I, uh, I didn't see that post, but I'm glad you kind of broke it down. Um, because I always assume the worst out of people when I hear about a snake bite. I'm like, oh, great. Some other 
guy in a trailer who has something he shouldn't, but it sounds like this. It is, you know, was trying to be as responsible as he could about, which is always very refreshing to hear. Um, unfortunately, it sucks that that's the scenario that it took for him to, to learn he needs kind of build up and work to prepare for that, but glad to hear he's doing okay, and I'm, you know, glad to hear that he's trying to go about it as responsibly as possible. So I, Absolutely. Uh, hobby in the industry needs Absolutely. people like that. Well, I'd like to say, because I know, I know a lot of people would review him, and a lot of people in other groups that saw that post, well, why would anybody need to own a venomous snake, or why would anybody... I need, I need people to understand there are many things that you do in your regular life that you think are safe things that can still cause you to get harmed or die. Uh, most of these people telling him that he should not own a, this venomous snake, they drive a car every day. And you run the risk every day of yep. an accident. Shoot. Even if you do everything right, you yeah. run the risk yep. of an accident. Because other people are stupid. <laughs> I mean, last night we were coming back from dinner and we happened upon an auto pedestrian accident with Ugh. a person who, you know, was we're like, that, that's a dead body laid in the road. Well, there was multiple, multiple parts, multiple of, the parts of a dead body laying in the road. And, you know, that guy was just crossing the street and, you know, that was it. So yeah. there's plenty of things we do every day that are so, dangerous. So, you, so if you're out there and you're thinking no one should own a venomous snake, he, that's fine. No one's forcing you to own a venomous snake. Right. And I know a lot of people ripped him because he lived with his parents. But first off, that's kind of the thing nowadays. 20-something-year-olds living with their parents isn't a, isn't a crazy thing. Uh, <laughs> it just happens. But it seems like he had his stuff. I mean, he had a fun one. He had a, a snake bite protocol. Yeah. Like, most of these people that pick up these sh- these snakes at some of these shows, these sketchier shows, haven't gone that far. Right. They have snake in tank, and that's as far as Yeah, he going. had Joe Pittman's bait snake bite yep. protocol. So, you know. That's, so for that's, those that's of us crazy. that don't know what that is, is yeah. that just like a binder to let people that are with you know this is what happens if I get bit by a snake? Or is it steps that you take? We'll let Derek answer that. Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, I personally use Joe Pittman's bite protocols even our facility. And uh, it's a little folder. You can pay five bucks and he can pretty much whip one together for whatever species you need one for. And essentially it's got a list of contacts that are professionals and experts in the field of toxinology and snake bite treatment, um, effects, you know, of the venom and the snake bite and what to look for, how to treat it. Because honestly, most medical professionals and ER doctors, they aren't treating snake bite much, if at all, throughout their entire career. Because you, know, you look at it, seven to 8,000 snake bites in the U.S. every year, and that's just from our natives. And there are still physicians out there who aren't 100% certain how to treat that so you throw in something exotic like a mamba and they're really you know a doctor in north carolina is not supposed to know how to treat a mamba bite so those right. bite protocols no joke absolutely you know no, they, end up, they end up calling a doctor here in houston dr spencer green because he he actually consulted on this one yep so hmm. this booklet will nice. go with That's you awesome. to the hospital to help out the medical professionals that are treating you that's really Correct. cool going back to uh yeah, and going back to what we said earlier about now this kid knows he needs to set up a network, it's really important that you do that because there are some instances where you go to the hospital in a situation like this. If you just hand a doctor that folder, be like, hey, huh. this is full of the information you need, there's a high likelihood that doctor is going to be like, yeah, whatever, and not even open it. So establishing that relationship and being like, hey, you know, my name's Derek. I work with these species. It's likely, you know, there's a possibility at some point I'll take a bite and need to be treated. 
here's some information on how to do that. And just building that relationship is extremely vital. And he, well, he yeah, knew that's, enough. That's, that's why. He knew enough to okay. tell the doctors as soon as he got there because he said he didn't know how much longer he would be able to speak. So he told them, before we start anything, <laughs> I refuse a fasciotomy and I want zero coverage of me being here for a snake bite. Yeah. So those are the, the fasciotomy is where they <laughs> slice you open pressure to keep your skin from bursting, yeah. which they have shown that that's not always necessary. No, or ever necessary. Yeah, it's it, it causes more, way more damage cutting so you open. as a regular normal listener on tonight's episode, because that is 100% what I feel like. Yeah, this is not helping your case to ever own Venomous, baby. But <laughs> let me help my case. So here's my case. One, I'm going to use Joe Challoner's venom-proof cages. I do with love those boxes. cages. I do love the way his cages are set up. Okay, I'm, um, I'm, I'm leaning back towards the positive now. So yeah, so I'm I'm going to use the shift cages so I can shift the venomous snake and I don't have to tail it and all that. You will never and handle it. That is the goal. Now, and I know there are some people out there because I've I've heard them bitch to me uh, that they feel everyone should know how to how to do this or do that. That's fine. And and I know how to handle venomous snakes. I've worked with venomous snakes. But I also feel fully, if there is a way in which you never have to actually handle or put hands on the venomous snake that is fine for you and the snake, that's the way you should go. And the venom-proof cages do that. So, like, with this guy, if he had had a venom-proof cage, he could have shifted the green mamba into the shift box, closed, locked it, tagged it, done all of his work in the cage to clean it like he wanted to, and then lock that back up and let the snake back out. And he never would have to deal with it. Like he said, the snake was not happy that day. And it was his largest mamba too. Yeah. So this would have, this would have allowed him to not have to deal with that. There's a picture of it. So I, I do like the venom proof cages and that is the way I will go when I do have my Gaboon Viper that I will have. <laughs> I also want to jump in really quick and add mambas are, are a snake that, you know, if, if they want to bite you that day, they're absolutely going to bite you and there's nothing. You oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's Just never coming that. in my house. <laughs> oh, don't worry. It's never coming in my house. <laughs> I'm good. Well, I've our friend seen Joe them Kellner, in person and they were terrifying to me. They were behind took, glass. and Joe oh. took a, a West African green mamba home from Conroe to test out his new arboreal cage. He wanted to see how long it took that snake to figure out the feeding door. Like, that this is where the food come from, can, comes from. He said it took one day. Yeah. I was about to he say, I give it less than 24 hours. Yep. Mambas are brilliant. Yeah, that's why I, I, I like... Jacksonville Zoo here in uh, here in Florida, they shift trained their, green, their West African green mambas. They are actually able to tap the back of the enclosure with the buffet hook. I don't remember the number of times. But the mums know when they do that, they shift back into the shift box and they See? get fed, and then mm. the keepers can work and clean those enclosures. I'm well, that's sorry. how. You cannot own a snake that is smarter than I am. Like, <laughs> no, well, that's how I would. No. I would do any venomous. I would teach them. You, you put the put the food inside the shift box, then open the shift box for them, and then you train them to go into the shift box, eat. They do all their eating and sitting there for a while while you're taking care of the cage. Open it, and they can come out once they're done and they're ready to come back out. And it's it's kind of it's it's positive enforcement because they know there's food there. I'm gonna shift because those smarter snakes like the mambas do learn that. I mean, those black mambas. I've said it before. The black mambas at Cody's, 
you're inches away from them with just glass between you and their eyes are looking at your eyes. They're not just staring off into the room somewhere. Like they see you and they're like, I, I know that if this glass like, wasn't I'm, here. I have like goosebumps just think like and it's been over a year, but it was <laughs> I will never forget that experience at Carpet Fest. It was hands down one of the oh, yeah. coolest places James has ever taken me. Yeah, awesome. So uh Derek, have you seen the the cages we're talking about, the venom proof cages? Um, I've seen pictures of them online. I've never had the opportunity to see them in person or how they work. They uh I think that's the problem with some people that don't like them. They haven't seen them in person. Right. The way that Joe builds them, the, the door, so that he builds the sliding door into the cage. He builds the cage basically around the locking door. So there's no way for it to come out, slip out. It's built in there. It's got multiple points of locking. Uh, it's as safe as you could possibly. You have, once you open, the, you close the shift door by pulling it out and they're in the shift box. Mm-hmm. He actually has a spot where you can lock it out, like put a padlock on it so that. While you're working on it, nobody's going to, you're not going to accidentally bump it or no, nobody's going to come up and what's this do and push it and open it and release, you know, the snake into where you're working. And there, Which is what a lot of zoos do. A lot of zoos, that, like you talk about with shifting yeah. the mambas, they have a whole setup like that. Lockout tag um, I've seen someone before in person. Uh, oh, what zoo was it? Maybe it was Birmingham. Uh, they, behind their cobra exhibit, they had a box where it would come in and they'd lock their cobra out. Because mm-hmm. again, like mambas, they are super smart. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. I mean, the St. Augustine Alligator Farm, they have shift boxes for their big king cobras. Um, even at Cody and Pia's, all of their adult mamba closures have arboreal shift boxes that, you know, I'm, I'm gonna go out on a limb and assume it's similar to the way that the venom proof cages are with the different sliding doors and locking. It's really foolproof. Like anyone could actually close that out and work an enclosure. So, um, they're definitely, you know, shift boxes are a necessity for safety. Uh, the way I look at it is uh, it's similar to the way I view the the bite-proof gloves because we use those at Cody and Pia's as well, and that it's a really great tool to have in the tool belt. You know, I think it's important to know how to work your animals um, just in case something does ever happen, like a veterinary procedure, you have to restrain it, something like that. But uh, if you know how to work that animal but never have to and you can just shift it, that's great. Well, and I compare it to tigers, all right? Look, no one ever tells a yeah. tiger keeper, I know you shift your tiger when you go in there and clean, but you really need to know how to go in there and handle it. Right. It's, not a thing. It's, it's like I've been saying when we talk about it. There's this small group of elitists that have a large voice in this in this hobby, and I, I, honestly, I'm sick of fucking hearing from them. Well, and, and I will <laughs> I never. Mean, they, they treat people like shit, and it's getting old. Well, and I will never downplay the importance of experience either. I'm, I mean, yes. Cody knows how to handle every single one of those snakes. And he, I mean, he's the person to go to if you need to learn how to do that, and if he's, he can help you. Sure. And that was what I was saying with this, this kid that got bit. Yeah. Uh, the first thing he should have had at some point was a mentor. Right. That's the problem. He had no network, he had no mentor, he had no one that he had worked with before apparently because well, if he did Derek, that would have been just, he would have gone to that person Derek right. just said how important it is to make sure that you set up your network for whatever town you're in and yep. in my opinion that's not just the network with the medical facilities that could potentially be treating you one day but also other people mm-hmm. in your area that keep and veterinarians and and you know yeah. things like that to yeah, me another, that, that's what that is yeah and your first responders too I mean 
you know, when I get my stuff up and running for real at the house, I'm going to call up local fire department and be like, hey, you know, my name's Derek. This is what I keep. This is what I do. If y'all want to come out and check it out, you're more than welcome to. But I want to get on a first name basis with those guys now. That way, you know, God forbid, if something ever happens, it's not like, oh, this dude out in his trailer got yeah. bit by some rattlesnake. It's, oh, that's Derek. We need, we have to ask all these, you know, these questions that we might not trust his answer. We, we know Derek knows his stuff. Let's just go get him. And it saves you that much more time. Well, it's like when I, I talked about before on the podcast when I had a wildlife and fisheries show up in my house uh, to look at my collection because uh, I sold a, apparently a carpet python I wasn't allowed to sell. I know these two guys were expecting to walk into my house and find dirty cages, snakes loose, venomous. Stuff. Like They were expecting to find the worst of the worst, and yet they yep. found racks that were labeled, and I could tell them what was in each one and explain what they do. And like, I mean, that's not what I they mean, expected. the snake room. The snake room looked great on my visit. The rest of our house was in shambles because I was busy packing the mood. <laughs> yeah, one thing I, that we do that I I really think is a good idea is um, in the state of Florida, we're required to label all of our enclosures with uh, common name, scientific name, supposed to say danger, reptile, and then the number of animals in that enclosure. And the way we do it at the Rattlesnake Conservancy is we actually have like a little index card with all that information um it also says refer to x bite protocol and i do not consent to a fasciotomy um and we actually have a hole punched in it so what we do whenever we work the animal is we take that case card off clip it to a carabiner and put it on our belt loop or something like that um that way if something does happen there's an accident i take a bite go into anaphylaxis pass out unresponsive I've got that information all right there on me, you know, contact information, things like that. And it's, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Speaking of snake bites, I was looking at our, our discussion page. <clears throat> Excuse me. And there was one snake bite uh, video that I thought, you talk, you and I talked about earlier today. It was the, uh, I'm going to try to get the same right. It was a bite from an attract, uh, attractopus strike. It was a little tiny snake that was coiled up and they kept touching it with the hook. And all of a sudden it, it looks like it flails uncontrollable. When you slow it down, you actually see in that uncontrolled flailing, it bites the hook. Yeah, it makes a very <laughs> deliberate bite. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and, and just looking at it, like, oh, it's this little coiled up snake. Let me let me pick it up. It looks very unassuming, um, but it's crazy. <laughs> That's why I always tell folks when uh when they talk about snake bites, they talk about think, especially coral snakes. Uh, for some reason, there's the myth mm-hmm. that coral snakes are rear fanged for one, which is definitely not true. They're definitely a front fanged snake. And then people are like, well, they have to chew on you. I'm like, millions of years has made it so they don't have to chew on stuff. Right. Like, <laughs> they can get you. All I can say with hog noses, a lot of people will say that the hog nose has to chew on you for a while. If you ever watch a strike from a hog nose in slow-mo, those rear fangs hit pretty quick into whatever they're biting. Nice. So it's just there's these weird things that snakes don't. You know, millions of years have gotten to this point. They're pretty good at what they do. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And that's one thing as a wildlife and snake educator, you know, I deal with all those common snake myths all the time, especially the cold snake ones. And we actually, in our different <coughs> venomous courses that we teach, we go over that stuff, the coral snakes especially. And, you know, the scary thing about them is that you may take a bite and because they're a lapid and they don't have that hemotoxic or cytotoxic venom, there's not going to be pain, swelling, necrosis, none of that. So someone who doesn't know any better may think, oh, I didn't get any venom, I'm fine. 
And then, you know, eight, 12 hours later, you stop breathing and you go on report. You know, it's crazy stuff. Man, there's a lot of venomous stuff on our, on our Facebook group this week. Mm -hmm. It was funny. Uh, there was one, it looks like a coral snake that had to go through some sort of surgery where it, like skin came oh, off. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. It's just like, it comes off like you would take a sock off. It actually says it, like a sock. Uh, and you see all the muscle underneath it. That, was, that I mean, was, that, that, that one like hurt me to look at. Like I couldn't. Yeah. Same. Well, that's one of those things where it's always interesting for a vet that has to do some sort of surgery on a venomous thing like that. I mean, cause it's, there's, especially in a situation where they may not be completely prepared. They don't have all of the equipment, but you can see they ended up using a syringe as a tube. They tubed it inside of an empty syringe, mm -hmm. which I thought was cool. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, that was, that was nifty. I never, never even thought about that. That's the first time I'd seen it. It was really forceful. Well, especially with, with the, the corals, they're so small. Mm -hmm. So it's, there's not a lot of stuff made for dealing with something that small. <laughs> definitely not definitely not so i'm flipping no, through there's um go ahead i lost my train of thought <laughs> <laughs> i was well I was flipping through and i got down to a post you made and i want to make sure we bring it up before we i don't want to forget about it but on may 15th yeah. you have something coming up yes i'm glad you brought that up because i probably forgot to yeah so uh may 15th we the rattlesnake conservancy is having our annual fundraiser event uh, last year, we had to go virtual. This year, we're going to be in-person again. That event is Get Buzzed for Buzztails, and it is being held at the St. Augustine Alligator Farm in St. Augustine, Florida. It's going to be a really good time. I'm excited to be back in person. There's going to be uh, local beer there on tap. There's going to be a live auction. Uh, we have access to the alligator farm, most of the alligator farm, so you'll be able to see different crocodilians and venomous snakes and all sorts of really cool stuff. Um, dinner will be provided and it's just going to be uh, nice to be social as a group again. We're hoping by that time, you know, restrictions will be a little bit more lenient and more people will be vaccinated. Um, but we're outdoors and we can socially distance if need be. Uh, but we're, we're very excited to be back in person this year, May 15th at the Alligator Farm in St. Augustine. And if, if anybody's never been to the St. Augustine Alligator Farm, it's one of the best zoos I've ever been to in my entire life. We went on – the first time we went was for our honeymoon, and Katie and I went to it. And nice. and then we went again when we were down for uh, car, Carpet Fest. But It wasn't the it, only place we went on our honeymoon. No. I mean, I got Disney and a week at the beach out of this deal. <laughs> but it, there were several ah, – there were several crazy. places that he yeah, got we went to several zoos. Well. Um, and serpentariums. They have yeah, that roadside serpentarium. That was weird. Was, it's it's what you expect of a Florida roadside serpentarium. He was like we're gonna stop here, and it was super sketchy. Look, you know it's a good serpentarium when you walk in, and the guy working there only has seven fingers. I mean, come on, it's gonna be great. Memories were made. Oh, <laughs> oh but but St. Augustine has every species of crocodilian. Which is awesome, especially since not many people. You, you watch videos of like Niles and saltwater crocs grabbing animals on National Geographic. It's completely different than when you're face to face with a saltwater croc and you're realizing this is a small bus with teeth. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, th that thing is massive. 
Yeah, and then incredible. And I'm right there with you. The St. Augustine Alligator Farm is like probably my favorite place to go in Florida. It's great. And then I saw on uh, Camp Kennan's one of his recent videos, he was there. Uh, and they were yep. going to redo that big alligator part of the, the in the middle. There's a large alligator. I guess you call it a pit, but it's not just a pit. It's it's pretty big and it's it's huge alligators. But they're going to redo the water feature because it's definitely a very a very like 1940s zoo water feature, just big open water and alligators in it. But uh, they're going to redo that and make it look natural and filter. And it. that'll be very interesting to see them redo that whole section right there. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited about that. Like you said, and like they went over in that video, I watched a bit of it. Um, that zoo is over like 125 years old or something crazy like that. Yeah. And uh, that lagoon, there are some monster alligators in there. So I'll, I'll definitely be excited to see that upgraded. I'll, I'll definitely be one of the first people there to go check that out. <laughs> yeah, I, I do miss working with crocodilians. We talk about snakes being smart, uh, but crocodilians get this when you watch tv they get this idea of just big giant dumb reptiles but they are very very smart animals mm-hmm, absolutely. cody's actually got some crocodilians now which i'm very excited about because my my experience with crocodilians is pretty limited when i was working at the santa fe teaching zoo we had adult american alligator and then uh hatchling you know uh came, like uh caimans and dwarf crocs and things like that so all really small stuff, but now Cody's actually been building some outdoor croc enclosures, and he's housing some different species. So I'm super pumped to start getting experience with with that group of animals. I was uh I was sorry I was reading an article on crocodiles like I posted in our group about uh some Philippine crocodiles. When we worked at the zoo here before we both became teachers, James was the reptile keeper, and I ran the education department. We had a Chinese alligator that we could use for education programs. Oh, that's and cool. And first of all, it was awesome because James, even though he's not a fan of large crowds or small children, he's fantastic <laughs> when it comes to programs. And I always loved having him in there with me for programs. Uh, but he would, you know, he's a big guy, six foot, you know, plus. And he'd come in mm. carrying this three foot Chinese alligator. And with, you know, it was just the kids loved it. It was hands down one of my favorite animals to do programs with. And he was such a cool, just chill alligator. That's awesome. And so I was reading an article, it was all about the crocodilians that was posted on our Facebook group. Uh, they found that these Philippine crocodiles could basically climb up like steep hills, like rock hills. Uh, like 50, 50, uh, 50 degree slope limestone hills, uh, wow. to move around, which is, which is important for they're trying to reach, introduce these and figure out where they can reintroduce them. And now that you see, oh, well, obviously a, a large hill, almost a cliff is not going to be a deterrent for a crocodile. You don't only think of crocodiles climbing, but yeah, that's pretty cool. Oh, so much stuff got posted over this last. I was busy here hanging out, and I didn't look at all the stuff. But oh, yeah, I've lived <laughs> in one, the softball field, so I haven't been on Facebook in like four days. <laughs> the, one, the one was a, a video, and I had seen this video when it was on Animal Planet. But it's the, uh, the video of the African bullfrogs fighting. Did you watch that? That was one? a cool video. <laughs> they, they grab each other, and I mean, it's Very like, when vicious. you slow it down, it's vicious. They'll fling each other like sumo wrestlers. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> but the amazing thing is, if you watch the whole special on them. They're amazing parents, the males. So they come out during the wet season when it's raining, and these uh, these fields fill up with water, 
They come out, the males fight to breed, they breed, the females lay these eggs, and they go off and get ready for whatever they got to do. And then the eggs hatch. And so the males are left in these pools of water. And these pools of water are drying up. And so what happens is the tadpoles have to grow fast enough to get out of them before there's no water there. And so the males will actually come up. So these tadpoles will get trapped in these little tiny pools as they're drying and they get isolated. They'll come up and they'll dig out that pool so it empties into a larger pool. So these babies can flow into a larger pool of water. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's a level of parenting I don't think many people associate with a frog. Right. Yeah, you don't expect that. Well, you know what? Weird. If they would have watched the Wild Kratts episode on bullfrogs, they would know how protective <laughs> the parents are. We watched that last week. When we, we watched Wild Kratts during lunch at school because we have to eat in our classroom still. And that was one of the episodes nice. we watched like a week ago. It was great. It's a good little episode, too. That's awesome. I love the Wild Kratts. <laughs> I, I loved uh, one of those Kratts creatures when I was a kid. I'd go home and watch Kratts creatures in the afternoons. I don't ever remember uh, watching see, that I as a kid. Boom-a-foo. See, I was. See, I remember that one. No, I was Kratz Creatures, and then Zoboomafu came along. I didn't watch any of that with the lemur and all that stuff. And then I was back to Wild Kratz. When we had our kid, we started watching Wild Kratz because of the cartoons. And our that was fourth a great one. birthday party was a Wild Kratz birthday party. Nice. It was so much fun. Anyways. Oh, I did want to mention. <laughs> uh, I know we talked about Joe Chowner a lot on this episode, but I did. I didn't forget to mention on the last one that he did a video collaboration with Emily from Snake Discovery. Uh, he got to go up there and help uh, in the new zoo that they're working on. And they are almost done. It's it's only like a month or so away, I think. Yeah. Uh, so you should go check that out. Some behind the scenes of, of them getting that place ready and all. But if you go check out Joe, is it, I think it's just Joe. You search Joe Challoner on mm-hmm. on YouTube and you can find his video. Nice. Was being I went through everybody's stuff on our page. Everybody's, there's some nice stuff. Oh, there was a cool picture. It was lions eating out the inside of what looks like a, a water buffalo. And inside of that was a puff adder. It was a what? Oh, wait. It's, you yeah, find the it. puff I saw adder is inside the water. Yeah, the, the yeah, puff adder is laying inside the rib cage as these lions are eating off of it. Yeah, oh saying I dare you to get closer. <laughs> there's, there's, there's so much death right there in that one picture. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, there's a picture. It's just like the lion is inches away from this thing. I'm thinking, oh. And to get that picture, you don't have photographers like, people are going to love this. This is going to be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Oh, so this weekend, uh, Robert, you got a crap ton of snakes. <clears throat> you could say that. <laughs> Was it well, really talk- that many? Six. Oh, five. I only knew of two. Oh, six. Six. oh six. I forget the... the Three hog nose, two ball python, and the milk, and the milk snake. I only yeah. have two. <laughs> yeah. I love trades. James, James got one too. I did. I was going to talk about that second, but I was going to talk about we, our buddy John Grant got a bunch of hog noses. He sold some of them and you picked up some awesome looking hog noses. Uh, I don't know much about the genetics of hog noses other than that they're super popular now mm-hmm. and that they're, uh, they're not the cheapest of snake morphs out there. Yeah. No, yeah. When you get into some of the the morphs. I mean, I showed you that one earlier. It was $6,500. Yeah. And it was sold. Or it was on hold. But yeah. Um, and not just, they're just, they're fun little snakes. They're easy to keep. They, uh, they have all have their own little personalities, attitudes sometimes. And they're North American colubrids. So right. temperature is always like, Oh no, we don't have temperature on uh, heat on them. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. They don't care. <laughs> and, uh, 
you know, it's they're just they're interesting. They don't they're not like a ball python that just sits there and looks at you. You know, <laughs> and, and you're just thinking they look at you. They're just staring off into the blank right. void that is in front of their face. Right. So, <laughs> ball yeah. Pythons. And then Logan bought a uh, albino, an albino Nelsons, and milk snake, milk snake, because yeah. he's been wanting one that one of the vendors had marked as a Pueblin, and Logan walked up and said, "Why are you calling this Nelsons a Pueblin?" <laughs> this ten year old kid walks up. No, <laughs> get him, Logan. Yep. That's awesome. Walks up and corrects him on what it is. Yep. <laughs> so. Nice. uh the vendor was like, how, what makes you say that? And he's like, well, this, this, and this. It's definitely a Nelson's look. And the vendor was like, oh, shit, you're right. I was sold to me as a Pueblo. <laughs> Did he give him a discount at least for like knowing oh, yeah. his shit? Oh. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. So, yeah, and then, you know, James got his. And then I got, I got a snow boa, which I've wanted for like 16 years. I say, I can remember when we got married, you wanted one of those. And there was no way in hell I could afford that. So no, they were that's sick. why you got you got Pandora for a wedding gift because I bought my husband a snake for a wedding gift because that's what yeah. you should do, right? My solid white snowbo is sitting behind Robin. And it has a white tongue. It has a white tongue. That is weird. What? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, cool. wow. That's wild. Yeah, I'll be honest, uh, the white snake doesn't really do much for me. But no, but you'll take a solid black one or a gray one or gray or or dull grays. I like the dark side. What can I say, James? (laughs) I'm not even touch that one. Anyways, shut up! Shut up, both of you! Stop it! But that was uh, that was thanks to innocent, innocent things, innocent comments. There's nothing innocent on this podcast. Anyways. Uh, I, I was able to finally get the snow boa thanks to our, my buddy, our buddy, John Grant. So he made a, a dream come true. I've wanted one of these forever. And so in, you know, three or four years, I'll be able to make some really cool stuff. I'm excited about that. And then that gives Katie another snake that goes into quarantine in our house. After we got all the snakes out of quarantine, That's more snakes going into quarantine. If I can figure out how to move that rack out of my craft room, it might get moved out tonight. <laughs> it's on wheels. Yes, it's totally coming out of that room tonight. I can move it by myself. <laughs> I have a hankering to rearrange furniture, and you're not home, so it's something's getting rearranged. Well, and, like, it's oh, funny with boy. You get everything finally out of quarantine, and you're like, I want a new snake. Then you get a new snake. And so we got that king snake almost a month ago. And yeah, now I got this snake. And, and it's I either set the snake up where the king snake is, and the king snake restarts quarantine. Which is fine. Or, yep. or I set it up in your craft room and you just deal with a snake in your craft room. That's fine. I mean, we just got rid of one's not going to be a problem. I mean, my, my leopard gecko and frog are in there because it's spring break. Because my animals yeah. all come home with me for spring break. And we have all of Robert's stuff down here being quarantined in the dining room. I don't have anything in the dining room right now. We can change that. Because the corn snake's still in the living room, and the bearded dragon's in the laundry room. I mean, I'm planning on getting a Louisiana pine snake soon, and it's going to need somewhere to go. I want a red-eyed crocodile skink. Yeah, that's not as cool as my Louisiana pine snake. The lizards are cool, James. <laughs> that, that's fine. It's not as cool sure as is. possibly the rarest snake in North America. Blech, nobody cares. <laughs> I do. I think most of us here care. I think it's just you. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, you are sitting like... Three feet away from. I know. Well, right. I see all the little colorful tags. Oh yeah, I do. I did put colorful tags. I went out and bought uh, those Excuse little round. Me. Who went and bought? 
Well, we both went. It was two different trips because we. I enough. made that trip. Thank you very much. And I didn't even go in the fabric store next door. That's a big deal. Kept this sitting about you. Anyway, <laughs> so I went and bought those little round key tags. Those tags you attach to a key to go. It belongs to this car or that car. And they came multicolored. They came green, yellow, red, and white in a case. And I bought some uh, small binder clips. And I attached a key tag to every tub in my room that has a snake in it. And there's a system. So, like, for me, all the red ones are breeding size females. So, at a quick look, I can see where all my breeding size females of any species are. And I, and I wrote the number that goes. So, each type tub has a number on it for that snake. I have a certain code that I use for my snakes. Each t- uh, tub has that on it. And then the tag has that same number. For this specific reason, when breeding season comes, my breeding size males have green tags. And so I know when I move a male sambo from one tub to another, I take the green tag and travel down to that tub with it. And so I can get a quick look, see where all of my snakes are. I know which ones are paired up and I don't have to wonder which tub has a pair in it, which one doesn't. Um, and hopefully you don't like open up a tub and go, there were two in here and now there's one. <laughs> suck. But, and then the white is for any. Small males that are not ready to breed, and yellow is for any females that are not ready to breed. But it gives me a nice, quick visual representation of what my collection is. I'm impressed that you know all that. I do. Because I didn't absorb any of it. He has told me this like 15 times, and I'm sitting in here, and I'm going, I know these numbers are important. I should probably know what they mean. I've been into so many snake rooms that are just unorganized. But then I got know. distracted I, because I've, our I've female rainbow was out and about. <laughs> he, I'm not going to say who because he's a friend of all of ours. Where he was opening up tubs to get a hog nose out for me to get, and a albino rattlesnake pops out on the floor between us. And he's like, oh, <laughs> let me get that real quick. Uh, wait. <laughs> I heart forgot that was in there. I yeah. would have had a heart attack. Yeah, albino Atrox, who was extremely pissed off. And, uh, oh, yeah, I forgot I put him in there yesterday. <laughs> Yeah, that always gets, I'm like, yeah, that's where, there should be a lock on any venomous snake cage. And that, that's the one thing where I'm like, I don't care how much you know or this or that. There should just always be a lock on any venomous snake yeah. cage. Well, oh, I'll yeah, tell you this, sure. James, um, James's room is very organized and it's very, well, it's laid out. Okay. The snakes in the no, room. No, no. But that's from organized. years of not being organized. There were many years of my room being cluttered. And being unorganized. I mean, with that said, I always knew what was in what tub, no matter what. I mean, I think that's one thing I think I find amazing when people go into the room. And I guess once you get 150, 200, 300 animals, it may get a little confusing. Uh, but there are some out there. You can walk into a room of 300 animals and some of these keepers go, no, I know what's in every single one of these tubs and where it's located. And so I've got 50 something tubs in there with animals in there. And I know every snake in each one and where it's located. So I, I think if you have a, I think if you have an Atrox, you should probably know where that that Diamondback is located. Yeah, our daughter yeah, knows better. more of what is located in this room, I think, than I do. Well, that's because she pays attention. No, because she's in here, <laughs> and she pays attention. She will come. I mean, I've explained it. Pages. I've explained it I'm all not. to you for fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. However fucking long we've been together. Hey, hey. What? Hey. Oh, sorry. That's it. Respect me. No, I'll pass. <laughs> but uh, but I was I was very excited about getting the tag. I wanted to find a way to keep up a little more. I can't do the I can't do the old school uh, index cards. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of folks that do index cards and they write on it and they slide it. I can't. It just looks like shit to me, and and my handwriting is horrible, anyways. And I also 
Mm-hmm. So, so I don't really give a shit the last time it shed. And I kind of know which animals I have aren't <clears throat> eating. Like if I have something that's not eating, I know if it's not eating. And I can visually see yeah. if it's getting skinnier. So I don't speaking, need that. Speaking of things shedding, we um we got to watch Joe's fat tail gecko eat its shed the other night. And that was fun. That is always fun to watch. We never catch it. We catch him the day before and we catch him the day after. And we just happened to check on him like right as he was like pulling it off the side of his head to eat it. And it was so cool. <laughs> yeah, that's something if, if someone is just a someone out there is just a snake keeper and you're used to when an animal sheds, you find the shed. It's completely different if you are a gecko keeper. Because yeah, yeah. you'll be like, Where are these shed skins? They're in the stomach. They'll right. reach around, they'll grab it off the back of their shoulder, and then they just eat it down their body like it's spaghetti. It's so cool. Anyways, I've, that's what I've got. Yeah. Derek, do you have anything else you want to talk about? Um, yeah. So some of the things that um, when we were talking about like snake bite and uh, when we were talking about the video that was posted in my internet was kind of wonky. So I didn't get the input a couple things, but um, I did want to really quick go over exactly why fasciotomy isn't recommended for a snake bite. Um, so for those of you who are listening who aren't familiar, um, I know James mentioned it o- earlier, but a fasciotomy is basically where they cut you open uh, to relieve pressure in whatever limb is affected. And uh, that's actually called compartment syndrome when you're having that swelling and that pressure buildup. And most snake bite mimics compartment syndrome. So you'll have that, that swelling, uh, but it's not true compartment syndrome there's that less than like 0.01 percent chance of a snake bite ever resulting in compartment syndrome but like we said most medical professionals aren't too keen on how to pro- oh no oh wait no yeah. he'll come back yeah, froze i was like this yeah. is good i'm learning oh, so much on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> all right so they're not too back. keen okay so they're not too keen on and then they keep going yeah so uh, most medical they're not too keen or up to date with how to treat snake bite so they see like a lot of swelling and discoloration on whatever limb leg arm whatever and they think oh compartment syndrome i need to release that pressure and they automatically go to the fasciotomy and um because most snake bite isn't true compartment syndrome that doesn't help anything at all it's unnecessary so it's not actually treating the snake bite by doing that so it's and plus, it opens you up to infection, some really gnarly scarring, things like that. So that's why, as you know, someone's familiar with snake bite and kind of teaches pre-hospital bite management, um, that's why we don't recommend fasciotomy. And then also, that's to go terrifying. back to that video that was posted in the group, isn't it? It's so scary to think like doctors that, you know, they save people's lives and they take care of people that if you're someone who deals and works with venomous snakes, you you know, you expect to go to them to be taken care of, but depending on where you're at and who the position is, they might not be super confident or, you know, know what they're doing to the extent that you would think they would. And that's just because it is not all that common, especially here right. in the it, States. It almost reminds me of back when they would do like bloodletting with leeches to kind of like suck things out. Mm-hmm. That's almost what it, it seems like they're trying to accomplish the same thing. To like let well, the pressure now, out and things like well, that. Their 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 fear is that uh, a lot of times they think I've heard in the past they think they'll split open, which you're not. You, you're very stretchy. You're not going to split open. You'll be fine. Um, oh, so this is yeah. like when like <laughs> when your skin is so tight that they're like, oh, we need to cut you to relieve the pressure. Yes. 
Okay, gotcha. Yep. So yeah, it's pretty crazy stuff. And there there was um there was actually an incident two or three years ago now in Georgia where a woman was bit by a timber rattlesnake and went to the hospital and um she was in the hospital for like seven to ten days and ended up dying from that bite because they didn't want to make her anti venom. I don't know if y'all heard about that. No. No. Who? So Why? the hospital yeah, so chose not to give her. Hospital. Yeah, they chose not to administer antivenom because they were under the impression that uh, the effects from the antivenom would be worse than the bite. Um, that just goes to show that you know we've antivenom has evolved massively within the past couple decades, and serum sickness and anaphylaxis and all that stuff is not nearly as common as it used to be. But, you know, a lot of these smaller rural hospitals, that information isn't necessarily getting to them, which is a really unfortunate thing. Well, and speaking of antivenoms, there's actually, they just, there's a new antivenom for North American vipers. So it's no longer just Crofab. Yep. And so now you have options, which will help with pricing. Because if anybody, I know we talked to uh, Jacob from the Herpetoculture Podcast. Uh, He had to go through it. And that bill that comes along with being Mm -hmm. bit, is not cheap, especially when it comes to the antivenom. Yeah, no, you're you're definitely right about that, and that's it's really exciting that Anavip is now approved for all North American pit vipers. They've been, you know, they've been around kind of on the block for a couple of years now. Um, Rare Disease Therapeutics was actually um, one of the sponsors for a, a symposium the Rattlesnake Conservancy put on back in 2018, and obviously back then they were just for rattlesnake bites. So the fact that there are now approved for copperheads and cottonmouths is super exciting. And uh, I'm not a medical professional, but what I foresee in the future for bite treatment is probably a combination of both Crofab and Anavip to treat bites because the molecules in Crofab are smaller than Anavip. They can get to the extremities like your toes and your fingers a lot faster, but because they're smaller, they're flushed out of your system quicker. Anavip is a slightly bigger molecule, um, so it'll stay in your system longer. So I think both of those antivenoms are probably going to be something we see here in the future. Hmm. That's good enough. That's really yeah. interesting. You know, I, I, back to the you know smaller hospitals and and certain doctors that won't give antivenom. I've, I've I follow a lot of the bites when they happen, and like in the National Snake Bite Support Group, mm-hmm. and it seems like a lot of these people you have to deal with the doctor's ego because you get these doctors in some of the hospitals that, you know, they went to medical school and rightfully so they should, you know, they should have a bit of an ego because they've earned it, but they don't want to listen to the person who may know a little more than the doctor or at least notice, refer them to, you know, Nick or Spencer or one of them. uh, And they don't, they don't want to do that. It, It seems to be less and less of that these days, but, um, that that tend, especially if it's an older doctor who's been a rural doctor for years and years, and you know says, "Ah, oh, oh, just yeah. put some tobacco on it, and it'll be all right." You know. Uh, <laughs> yep, it's a it, real thing. Yep, definitely. Oh my gosh. Shock them with a car battery while sucking the poison out. And, you know. Oh, that was okay. That was the one that just came into my head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the sucking the poison, sucking the venom out thing. We've really got to squash that at some point. That still floats around there. When when my buddy first bought the ranch out in West Texas, he went to Bass Pro Shops and bought a snake bite kit. 
and it had that suction thing in it. And I'm like, bro, throw that shit in the trash. Yeah. <laughs> throw the whole thing in the trash. Your yeah. snake bite kid is get your ass in a car and get to the hospital. Right. Yeah, I, I worked at a Bass Pro for almost five years, and we, uh, or I guess they, they still sell those snake bite kits in the in yep. the camping department. And I would always be like, I don't really want to put this out on the shelf. I'm gonna kind of hide it in the back because it's way too much. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a false sense of security. It is. It definitely is. And there has been some cases where using a suction device like that on something like a rattlesnake actually makes it worse because you're going to be dealing with a lot of tissue damage. So you're doing something like that to your arm or your leg or whatever on top of the venom. It's just making things a whole lot worse. And it's just take more time for you to get to a hospital. Well, it's like, it would be like pouring, pouring meat tenderizer on a steak and then also beating the steak with a hammer. Right. You're, you're now destroying it for both sides. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That's, that's all I got. <laughs> that's it. Unless Derek has more. I'm all for Derek having more. I'm, I'm in it. I've learned a lot. I, like, I thought I knew yeah, a lot about rattlesnake stuff. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it's, it's really cool. I, um, we have a whole section in our level one venomous handling course where we go over bite management and we go over the do's and the do nots and what phone numbers to call. Um, so if, if anyone listening is ever interested in learning more about that, you can always message me because I'm happy to talk it, but I would recommend if you have any interest in venomous cells, uh, coming and taking one of our courses if, you know, it, it's doable. I mean, right now we're doing them primarily in Jacksonville, Florida, but, you know, as the country starts opening up and restrictions lift, we're hoping to do some more traveling to other areas. We should get him at a Herb show. Oh, that would be cool. A Conroe show. show. I come to Conroe and, and, and talk about that kind of stuff. That's yeah. a really big show. When we get back to doing education stuff. Yeah. Because they great. have people that do like, yeah. talk about rattlesnakes and they have some of that stuff. Cool. They have the trailer that comes with the rattlesnakes. That's so, true. You know, Slidell have... is closer to him. Right. But Connor is a big show. They all talk yeah. about these herb shows. I really need to get out the one. Dude, they're awesome. Yeah. Man, if you they could really find are. a way to get out here in June to the hunt, to the Herbs Conroe Shoot. show. It's the hundredth show, and it's gonna be. It's their one hundredth show since they started putting them on, and it is gonna be huge, man. It's gonna be a blast. We're having a crawfish boil in a parking lot, and it's all. Uh, re- it's ooh. already a huge show because it's the, yeah. the summer Conroe show. So that crowd yeah. is always mm-hmm. bigger than the one in January or the one in September. But it's gonna be in. I would make try and make that work. <laughs> yeah, I would like weekend. to do. Well, I would like to do one of these. These classes, though, that seems I would be very interested. Absolutely. I mean, because like I said, I've I've handled venomous snakes, but I'm always very interested in learning how other people will do. I I learned it the way I did. I was I became a zookeeper, yep. a zoo, and then it was just kind of like, here you go. <laughs> how long a is the class? Viper, go there. Yeah. How long? Yeah, is the got class? a good question. So the classes are it's a it's a two day course. So the first day we start at nine thirty in the morning. And we run until 3.30 in the afternoon. And that's the same time frame for day two as well. But day one, it's all in a classroom lecture material. We go over native venomous mix of area we're teaching the class, anatomy and physiology, fang structure, venom toxinology, emergency snake bite management, keeping venomous snakes in activity, uh, medical and sample collection techniques, um, there's a couple more topics I'm sure I'm not remembering right now, but it's, it's a full day of information and 
Um, you know, we get a lunch break and we try to make it interactive. So you're not just sitting there listening to us talk for eight hours or whatever it is. Um, but it's a lot of really cool information. And then day two, we kick things off. A written exam covers the information from the prior day. And then we get right into the handling techniques. So we'll start off with non-venomous and we go over how to work one hook, two hooks, and then we go and teach our bagging technique. Um, and then we break for lunch. When we come back for, from lunch, we do those exact same things, but we do it with the venomous snakes. And the cool thing about these courses is we get people from all kinds of different backgrounds, you know, zookeepers, first responders, people who just, people who snake, people who are interested in snakes. So, you know, we've got classes where someone's never used a snake hook before, and but we also have a student that's pretty well versed and has done it before. So we just kind of make it, you know, so everyone equal experience and we start from the ground up. So this is how you hold a snake hook. This is how you lift a snake up. And they're, they're awesome. It's actually probably one of my favorite things about what I do with the organizations teach those classes. That's really cool. How, how many people are you normally having in one of these classes? I'm assuming there's, you try to keep them fairly small. Yeah. So um, generally we have two instructors for these courses and pre COVID we were capping the classes off at, 15 students. Um, right now, we're slowly ramping the classes back up um, and 10 to 12 situation dependent. Like if registration's full, but someone messages me, hey, you know, I really want to get in, I'll probably make an exception to that person in. But we're, we're trying to keep it at 15 or less. That'd be really cool. Yeah. We may have to do that at some point. I no, think we should one. make a reptile gumbo I was podcast. Say, I, think, I think that would be a fun road trip. Yep. Is there a, an, is there a minimum age requirement? Uh, yeah. So we get this question a lot. Um, for, for liability and legal reasons, it's got to be at least 18 years old. That's what I figured. Yeah. Logan yeah. would be yeah. so disappointed. Saying, if Logan is going to be. <laughs> but look, you also asked and he's just not old enough. So I, I just think yeah. we can get, we can get Derek over here to do one, and we could get enough people just from Herp's people to oh, fill an entire class. Absolutely. Oh, without fill a, a whole doubt. And then some. Make it a working weekend. I would be all for it. So for doing uh, courses out of state or at different locations, um, the biggest hurdle is usually, uh, one, uh, a venue to host course, and two, having a source of snakes. Um, we got that. Oh, we we can get you snakes. <laughs> I have a yeah, feeling we could I, I probably get that covered. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I know we're, there's an albino Aatrox we can. Yeah. Between Rick and Sean Trimbach, I think we can get everything we need. No yeah. Joke. Yeah, yeah. You want to so deal with a? If we can find a venue and get some snakes, I can I can talk to my superiors and we can find make that happen. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna talk to Sean. See yeah. if we can set something. I was gonna up say you need to get Sean Gray involved in this. That would be awesome. Might have to be after the Conroe show, though. That's kind of where everybody's focus is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It'll be during the summer so that I can do it because I'm a teacher. Now. Well, July, we only have one show. <laughs> that's true. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Oh, cool. That's, this that's... year, next year in July, we have five shows. There's five weekends in July. I'm we have so five sorry. Shows. What? I have not next... looked at next year's. Yeah. <laughs> when I was oh. inputting in my calendar, and oh. they're like, it's like. They're, none of them are close. That <laughs> all, sucks. Bro, yeah. oh, it's, it's like Colorado, yeah. Louisiana. That's yeah. when Joe and I go to summer camp. So, like, there's two weeks and three weekends in July where I'm out of pocket. Like, I'm on a mountain with almost no cell signal. It's fabulous. Whew. That's awesome. 
and I'm relocating whatever snakes pop up around camp because that's what I do when I'm there. Yep. <sighs> that's one thing we gotta do while we're here. We haven't got herping. We need to figure out some. If you could earn tomorrow. your keep tomorrow and do some work. <laughs> I'll get there. Goodness. All right. So, so. Oh, I have nothing because I've. Between the show and Temple this weekend and softball the last two days with our kid, I have I've done a load of laundry. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do want to remind everybody about our. I remember it's April, right? We're in April. Our April we giveaway. Are April. Uh, we already mentioned our animal. I'm not mentioning it again. We mentioned it earlier. Right. So make sure make sure you wrote that down. We will have a new snake next week on our next episode. But so make sure you keep up with all of them. And at the end of the month, you'll send those to us just like we do with the numbers. And you'll be put in to our drawing for a lizard or gift card, however you decide to spend your money uh, that we, that is being given to you. Uh, so keep, keep, keep listening for that. Uh, I think that's all I've got right now. Oh, don't forget uh, on May 15th, right? Was that what it was? Or April 15th, Derek? Uh, May 15th. Get buzz for buzz sales. Buzz for Buzz at St. Augustine Alligator Farm, which is not acting up to the poor. It's not actually a farm. It just got that name because that's what the hell else do you call a place that had a bunch of alligators. Yep. So make sure you go check that out. It's for a good cause. Uh, Derek, I want to thank you for being on here. If people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to go about all the ways of getting a hold of you and learning about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's been a blast. Always happy to talk about Um, But yeah, so for anyone who wants to get a hold of me, um, just Derek Dykstra on Facebook. Um, just shoot me a message, friend request, whatever. I'm pretty open. Um, on Instagram, Crotalis underscore Cowboys, my personal account. If you care more about what animals I'm keeping, you can follow Apex underscore Arboreals, which is basically just my personal collection. Um, and then, of course, we got to give a shout out to the Rattlesnake Conservancy. We're on Facebook. Instagram and now on TikTok, so be sure to give us likes and follows. But that's, uh, that's where you can get a hold of me. Sweet, Robert. Who want to get a hold of you? LSReptileRacks.com, Lone Star Reptile Racks, Facebook and Instagram. Um, obviously, I answer my phones and messages at any time because for the last fifteen minutes, I've been answering messages. So, <laughs> um, yeah, and get, if you want to rack, get your order in now because you've been busy. Well, apparently, I'm already following Derek on Instagram. All right, good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but get your get your rack orders in. They uh, y'all have been slammed lately, and with these yeah. all these shows coming up, it's... yeah, I have someone trying to order seven racks for Slide L. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'll get it done. They're tw- twenty eight quarts and six quarts. I don't have to order those tubs. I just buy James, them. James, you're fixing to be making some racks, nice. buddy. So that'll be that'll be next week. That'll be next week. He's, he's, got, got, a show. Uh, he's got a show already for this week. So. Yeah, I figured you could make them. Ahead of yeah, time. I have or one, two, how that three, works. four, five, six, seven, eight racks going works. to one customer at this show this weekend. Dang. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's a good busy. problem to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me, it is simply underscore serpents on Instagram or simply serpents on Facebook. If you want to get a hold of the podcast, it is the Reptile Gumbo Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, especially Instabook. Instagram, Facebook, <laughs> and at gmail.com. Oh, I also want to say uh, check out Simply Bio, that is also my other side business with my buddy Tracy. Uh, if you want small bioactive habitats, for it's great for tarantulas, centipedes, isopods. But you can check us out. We will be at Beaumont and Slidell and Stafford 
And if I knew what show Tracy was doing this weekend, I would plug that one too. Wichita. It's Wichita. There's a show Is in, Wichita. in Wichita. I think. You should do the same one as yeah, it's the Grant. Grant. Yeah, it's a Central Kansas show. Central Kansas show. Yeah. In Wichita. So go check her out. Check out Simply Bio. Buy some stuff from her. It helps me out. So help me out. Uh, I think that's all I've got. It's been great. Cool. And yeah, we, been awesome. Yeah, I've learned a lot tonight. Yes. That's and we really will talk cool. to everybody next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.